Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero, thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey folks, and welcome back to Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, the podcast that exists mostly to prove that the fan holes, and me in particular, liked Thunderbolts before they inevitably get cool. And and by cool, I mean K-E-W-L, not like, you know, real cool. And, and by cool, you mean like, you have like a movie franchise? Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. But before they get into the uh, zeitgeist or whatever. But anyway, uh, yeah, who who is with me tonight? Uh, I am Derek, Derek WC, and I'm ready to fight, Mama. Yeah. This is Justin, and I'm cool. I'm with it. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you know, if you don't, if, if you're tuning in, you probably know the score for this podcast. You know, we we talk about a, a issue in the main, like, Thunderbolts chronology, and then in the second half of the show, we talk about an issue that is, like, historically significant to Thunderbolts history. So uh, t- I-, I will lead off with the uh, first issue, which is um, Thunderbolts issue number eight. Uh, it has a cover date of November 1997. Uh, it's written by Kurt Busick with the uh, uh, assist by Roger Stern. Uh, pencils Mark Bagley, inks Vince Russell, colors Joe Rosas, letters Dave Lanfear, and uh, edited by Tom Brevoort. And the story title is Songbird Alone. And uh, I will read the summary that I myself wrote for it. In Central Park, Spider-Man, Daredevil, the Heroes for Hire, the New Warriors, and to Justin's delight, Swordsman and Magdalene (laughs) have shown up to fight the elements of doom outside their base. The reporter Megan McLaren is on the scene and wonders what happened to the Thunderbolts after they were captured by the elements and brought inside. At Four Freedoms Plaza, Citizen V teleconferences with Dallas Riordan and G.W. Bridge about releasing the Avengers' secret files to him. Ultimately, Bridge decides to trust Citizen V and do so, but says the files are encrypted and even S.H.I.E.L.D. can't crack them. Citizen V smugly assures Bridge that he'll worry about that part. Inside the Elements' base, Jolt laments the failure of their escape plan as her and Atlas watch some of the Elements drag Techno's limp body away. The Elements make plans to apprehend Songbird, the last T-Bolt running free in the base. Speaking of, the hiding Songbird wonders what she should do now that she's abruptly lost contact with Techno. She thinks of going back to the others, but is suddenly attacked by the Elements' gold and silver. 
As they bind her with their liquid forms, they let slip that Techno was killed, and enraged, Songbird breaks free and brutalizes the two elements with solid sound constructs. Her confidence buoyed by her win, Songbird continues on to locate the element's creator, Dr. Kondrovich. Elsewhere, Techno's body is tossed into the rubbish, and unseen by the elements, his discarded tech pack comes to life and moves towards its seemingly deceased owner. Songbird locates Kondrovich, defeating beryllium and europium along the way. The doctor agrees to help her defeat the elements, and the two are shocked to see a digital avatar of Techno pop up on the room's monitors. Techno explains that he managed to download his brain patterns into his tech pack before dying, and he's now in the base computers. In the T-Bolt cell, Jolt is filling the newly awakened Mach 1 in on what's been happening, when suddenly a roboticized Techno enters the room. Having fashioned himself a new body from his tech pack and various other things from the element's base, Techno frees his comrades and puts them in contact with Songbird and Kondrovich. Kondrovich has a plan to defeat the elements, but it will require a gathering of some supplies. The T-Bolts spring into action, with Songbird demonstrating her new confidence in herself by curb-stomping gold and silver again, and stealing their Lugia and Ho-Oh. Outside the element's base, the gathered heroes are confronted by some of the radioactive elements of Doom, and are unsure of how to engage without causing a nuclear explosion. Suddenly, the T-Bolts break out of the base, and Techno quickly has Songbird cordon off the radioactive elements. He then blasts them with a destabilization ray that Kondrovich created, and Atlas hurls a chunk of lead into their midst, which absorbs the radiation their crumbling forms emit. The day is thus saved, and Citizen V arrives in time to take some of the credit by claiming he was coordinating their efforts on the inside the whole time. In the aftermath, the T-Bolts mingle with the other heroes, and Citizen V talks with Megan McLaren and tells the public that the Avengers files were gifted to them by the City and S.H.I.E.L.D. After returning to Four Freedoms Plaza, and Jolt has gone to bed, Baron V berates his team for disobeying his orders, but admits that their defiance of those orders is what got them the Avengers files in the end. Now all that is left is for Techno to break the encryption on them, and they can discard their hero rolls. Zemo's master plan is nearing its end. To be continued. So yeah, this is the third and final part of the uh, you know Elements of Doom trilogy, and it's a uh, kind of a spotlight like issue for Songbird. And, uh, you know, this, this issue is probably what really made me, like, take notice of her, like, and make her, like, probably one of my favorite, like, you know, comic book characters in general. And, you know, this is her, like, you know, her trial by fire issue. And, uh, you know, she, she finally gets enough confidence to, like, you know, fight without any, you know, outside support and, you know, just generally a good, uh, you know, spotlight for her. But, you know, there's a lot of other things going on too, but like, when, like, I, I picked this issue up, like, as part of a, like, you know, large batch of, like, you know, back issues when I was trying to catch up to, like, current in the day. But, like, I assume you guys, like, read it, like, in the wild, like, you know, at the time. So, like, what do you guys think of this issue in general? I think Californium is serious business. <laughs> no, I, I, um, no, no, I, I, I like the issue. It was cool. I mean, it, it's cool to see the, the wrap-up of the whole Elements of Doom thing. I, I was kind of trying to refresh my memory on, on, like, where all these guest heroes were, you know, at the time and stuff. So, like, 
just just I don't know for like historical reference and stuff. It's like I mean, and and you know, feel free to disagree with me because I know I know Justin and Michael may disagree with me on some of these uh, editorials as I go into it. But like the one thing I think is interesting is I'm like I, I don't know. I'm trying to wrap my brain around like vaguely worked on Amazing Spider-Man, you know. And, uh, you know, obviously New Warriors long before he worked on Thunderbolts. But then I'm, like, sitting here thinking to myself, like, I wonder if, like, working on Thunderbolts was, like, a pay downgrade. Because you got to imagine, like, like Spider-Man is a big selling. Like, I imagine, like, Spider-Man and X-Books, like, that's that's where it's at, right? Like, you would want to be on those books because I imagine they made the most money, right? Like, so I wonder if, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, I get to work with, you know, Kurt Busiek and this is going to be a really you know, bitch and story. Like, I wonder if there were like other factors that chose, you know, that, that led him or me, you know, maybe he's like a dude, I did my run on Spider-Man. Like I want to do, I want to do something different now or whatever. And so that's something I was sort of wondering about, but like the Spider-Man books at the time, like, I mean, I don't know. Like to me, it's, it's, it's like this kind of aimless kind of era, you know, it's like, it's like Howard Mackey pre chapter one stuff. Like, I mean, uh, is that a fair assessment of, like, where Spider-Man was around this time? I mean, he kind of almost, he's almost, almost out of the Clone Saga-ish stuff. I mean, for the most part, he is, but then there's going to be, you know, there's going to be stuff a little later on or whatever. But, like, you know, for the most part, he kind of came out of the Clone Saga, and then there's a lot of these kind of, you know, I don't know, sort of aimless to me, stories with, with Spider-Man, yeah, well, where it's like they, they tried to bring him back to basics, but then I don't think anybody cared at that point, you know? Yeah, well, like, this is the period in between, yeah, the Clone Saga and the, like, Mackie reboot. And, like, Mackie's only writing, like, I think Peter Parker Spider-Man at this point. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's it's not terrible. Like, I don't think he would get utterly, like, terrible until the reboot. But, yeah, yeah, I do, like, like I feel like that very first page where, you know, Spider-Man's kind of like, you know, I'm dealing with, I think he says, like, the, techro, the Technomancers... Like Electro, like and like he talks about who he's he fighting like, in, like all, Raven, and Doc yeah, Ock and, and like stuff. all four books, like he's in at the moment. So yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I think I thought that was kind of funny, but I, I, I wouldn't say like the storylines were aimless, but they none of them were like connected with each other, and they were all yeah, like yeah. all four books were doing their own things basically at the time. So I mean, and like it was an effort to get like you know, back to basics with Spider-Man. But I think, yeah, the Clone Saga probably damaged him a little bit at this point. So not everyone was, you know... Like, I was grooving on it because this was, like, you know, my... This is my, like, heaviest buying, like, time. So, like, I was... Yeah, I figured you you might disagree with me on my my editorial on it. But, I mean, I I, I just think just to give people that are listening an idea of where exactly Spider-Man was at the time. And, I mean, it must be nice to see you know, vaguely tackle Spider-Man again, you know, because then I think, I think after this, he doesn't do it for a while until, until Ultimate Spider-Man, so. I don't know about how much vaguely was paid, but I mean, Thunderbolts was a pretty high profile and best-selling book, so I, I, I imagine a lot of that has he, to he do with, did. like, the writing and the artwork, yeah. so, you know, he, 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 I don't know what he was paid, but he, he brought a lot to the table, and his name was still... You know, yeah, attached yeah. to a high-selling book. So. No, no, I, I see what you're saying. You, you, your, your speculation is he was probably doing all right. Like, it wasn't like it was a huge downgrade or anything like that. 
I guess another thing is like Heroes for Hire was a new book at the time, and it was on issue five around the time of this issue's release. And so most of the characters in that, I mean, not all the characters were like lined up yet, I don't think, or at least they didn't include all of them in this guest appearance. But you had what you had, um, you had White Tiger, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage in this issue for sure. And then the thing that I was noting, because I was like, oh, yeah, they, there's that, like, super-duper rare-ass, like, Toy Biz Marvel legend of this version of Luke Cage. Because they, they released it as, like, the silver variant of the Mojo Wave or whatever. And, like, that's, like, super-duper rare or whatever. But I, I was kind of, like, looking at it going, like, when did Luke Cage have, like, a white outfit? And I was like, oh, yeah, and that, that Heroes for Hire comic and stuff. So, like, and th- that's kind of reflected in this issue. I guess the white tiger was like a, you, you know how like they, they wanted Wolverine at one point, like one of the origins for Wolverine was going to be that the high evolutionary, like grabbed the Wolverine and like zapped it and turned it into like Wolverine. Like, like, like that, that basically was this second white tiger's origin. Like, like high evolutionary okay. grabbed the white tiger, zapped it. And then she turned into like a psycho hose beast for Iron Fist, and then decided like like she couldn't she couldn't handle like you know being in love with them and emotions. And I think eventually the High Evolutionary is just like, oh okay, I'll zap you back into being a tiger. And yeah, like, like I, I was gonna, I was actually gonna ask, <laughs> I was gonna ask because I was like, I know this wasn't current White Tiger, and I know it wasn't classic Dios White Tiger. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the original. It wasn't it wasn't you know Hector Ayala, and it wasn't any of his like you know relatives or 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 you know the the other characters that would the other female characters that would go on to to be White Tiger and like Daredevil and stuff like that. But it was it was I think strictly speaking, it's like the second incarnation of White Tiger, which basically you know she I mean that that's the summation of it. She was a tiger that got zapped into a person. Like that's 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 basically what. <laughs> Her origin, you know. I I didn't know Danny Rand was a furry. <laughs> I don't think he is. I think he's he's still with um, Misty Knight the whole time, and that's part of the problem. Like 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 oh. she's she's doing like that whole um, uh, you know Mantis pining for for Vision while he's with Wanda type okay. thing. It's it's supposed to be like all this like you know inner drama and stuff. Like I like Danny because he's a he's a warrior and a huntsman, and and it really gets my my tiger juice is flowing or whatever, right? But then, <laughs> then, then it's like, but I don't think she can handle that. It's like, well, he's spoken for, you know, like, like, it's like, he's got a girlfriend, you know, like that thing or whatever. So, so there's that, um, like, okay. And then here, Justin's going to like throw tomatoes and exit me and poo poo. But like, and this is something I didn't know either. Like, so, so this swordsman is not like Jacques Duquesne, right? Like he's not, and he's not the the plant swordsman. Like this is this is the swordsman that works for the protector, right? And he's a totally different swordsman, right? He's from like the bomber jacket era, yep. isn't he, Justin? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. So th- th- I was just curious. Like, like, I mean, I know you have the love for the bomber jacket era, and all I'm going to say about that is, like, I, I was kind of like 
you know what happens to these characters after that? Like, like I think I think they send them back to like their home planet or whatever. Because <laughs> it's like yeah, they. I was gonna ask because the last time I remember reading them is like I think it's in some Avengers annual yeah, yeah, by Busick, and like yeah. they just go back. Like it's like Swordsman and Magdalene have to go now. Like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. have to go now with Poochie back to their home planet, and it's like bloop, 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 they I, go back. I, I don't think they've never appeared again nope. after that. Nope. Yeah. No, I, I don't know if they exactly went back to their home planet. I think it, the the idea was like they're gonna travel through dimensions and have adventures or something. But yeah, you you never see either of them again. Like since then, to my sadness. But what I thought was funny about this issue is like it's been so long since I read this. Like I was like, ooh, swordsman, wow. Even though it was only for a few pages, and then something I thought was funny is like when you first see the swordsman. Like, he doesn't have a mustache, but then, like, one of the later pages, like, he has a mustache. So I was like, uh, someone made a boo-boo, Mark Bagley, probably. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> so do you, I mean, the, it, it, I guess then the question that I would pose, which I, I think you might have already answered just with your enthusiasm in general, but, like, does it matter to you, like, which version of the Swordsman it is? Or you like all these versions of the Swordsman? I mean, I like both of these guys. I mean, this swordsman is the first one I ever like read about in the comics. Okay. Like, okay. like the the original swordsman. I just remember seeing him on like covers in my uncle's collection. I was like, who is this guy that's like throwing? Who is this guy that has cap tied up in ropes and is throwing him up a skyscraper? Like, he seems pretty cool. But the first swordsman I ever read in comics was this one from the bomber jacket era. So, like, I like both of them. And then, you know, the other swordsmen, and then there's a swordswoman. Those other ones that, like, appear later on in various Thunderbolts volumes, like, I don't really know too much about them. I just know they're not really connected to either of these guys. I guess except for swordswoman, who was, like, his daughter that he never knew he had or something. I don't know. Anyway. I'm just trying to think of other, like... Like, okay, so so the the thing that cracked me up in the issue itself was, like, there's this exchange between, like, Nova and Daredevil, and I kind of feel like if it was written today, like, Daredevil would be like, hey, is it okay if I help out kids? And Nova's like, okay, Boomer. Like, because <laughs> like, he's, like, yeah. he's like, yeah, whatever, old guy, you know, that kind of <laughs> thing. But, like, but like uh, I, I think, I think this was this was in an era of daredevil like like you know, speak of the devil uh joe kelly was writing daredevil at the time and he had been writing daredevil for i think like the last four months or something like that and then it was coming off of what i think is a, a often sort of overlooked uh, great run of daredevil by carl kiesel so it's like that that's around the the era in which he was guest starring in this and I'm like Darkhawk hadn't had a book since 1995, and then like the New Warriors hadn't had a title like since I think like 1996, and they wouldn't get a new book. And I think Darkhawk shows up in that book too, but they don't get a new book until 1999. And the same thing with like Nova having like a solo title. Like n none of those characters had titles, so like that. I guess that's kind of surprising to me. It's it's either nobody was using them, so then I guess maybe Busick or you know whoever you know like the the you know maybe it was like whoever was uh, 
you know, like Tom Brevoort said, oh, these characters are free, like you can do whatever you want with them, like type thing. So I don't know if that was the allure to having those guys in. But I, I thought it was surprising, like, this, this is something else I was going to ask you guys, was is there anybody you were surprised that wasn't included in, like, this basically, like, New York City, like, Marvel street gang of, of heroes? Like, is there somebody that you would have been like, hey, why didn't they have, you know character x like like i i have a list of characters that had like ongoing books or like books at the time but like i'm curious if there's anything is, that felt was missing it, it struck me how bizarre like it would be to like someone like you know considering today's era if someone read this and like you know with with all the avengers and the fantastic four gone and you know the x-men perpetually in the like hates and fears like era or whatever like it's like these are like what's left of like New York's heroes. Like it, I, I think it's funny that they're all looking to like Spider Man and Daredevil for like leadership and stuff. Mm. And, like, but yeah, like you would think like people nowadays would be like, where's like you know fucking Doctor Strange and Moon Knight and like mm. you know Blade and like everyone else like who's like it's you know, it's so interesting. I don't think I don't think any of those guys had titles. At the, maybe Doctor Strange did, or maybe not. I don't know. But like, I I don't I don't think they had books at the time. But but I think you bring up like good, you know, like characters that would make sense, right? To be put in this kind of menagerie of heroes. Like I don't know. Is there anybody that you thought might be missing, Justin? Or or did you give this any thought? The only one that comes to mind is Doctor Strange. Okay. Okay. I I think Doctor Strange is a good pick. Like like just what I wrote down. Just just of characters that had like relatively new books that to me like the way I was thinking of it was like as a you know like a, a marketing thing like oh you know you guest star people in the book either to help your book like you know Spider-Man and Daredevil you know maybe their readers would come and read you know Thunderbolts because of the guest appearance or you know my you know, my your other thought would be hey we've got a new heroes for hire book to sell let's include the heroes for hire so then you know if if somebody reading Thunderbolts sees the heroes for hire maybe they'll go check out heroes for hire so at this point in time uh they have just brought Electra back from the dead so to me I was kind of thinking well shit Daredevil's there like why isn't Electra there um Kazar like, as I've off said, the, the two Marvel books that, you know, Wizard pimped out and got me to read in this era, you know, me going back to Marvel was Thunderbolts and Kazar. Now, Kazar's not in New York, so I guess that makes sense. But, you know, like, if you wanted to potentially have that kind of, I don't know, crossover or that cross-promotion, like, that, that you could have found a way to kind of have him join up with everybody else. Um, Quicksilver just had a book that was launching. So, I mean, he's not exactly street level, but he is kind of, you know, akin to like Swordsman and Magdalene. Like he's kind of Avengers adjacent. And he wasn't, he wasn't so under the thumb of the X editors. I don't think like I, I can totally understand. Like it seemed like all the X books, you know, especially then were their own little island. So, I mean, I could see why, like, you know, I don't know, like Gambit doesn't show up and goes, hey, Mona, me, I'm going to help you, you know, fight the elements or whatever. You know, like, I, I, I can get that. Like, like, and then and then the only other thing that I noticed was, and, and this wasn't anything that I read at the time or whatever, but I guess Shang-Chi had some kind of uh, story arc going on in the Journey to Mystery book at the time because Thor wasn't 
in it anymore. And again, that's somebody else that you'd think, oh, well, he, he, he'd be a good, you know, street level guy yeah, to, to help no, out. And they they were around like I think in this era like and they 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 would probably fit pretty well with this group of characters. I'm surprised like Cloak and Dagger weren't hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's another one. Yeah, but he didn't have his own book. But what about Hercules? Wasn't he part of this Heroes for Hire version? Oh yeah, like him he, and he, Black yeah, Widow. He, he, he eventually, be, yeah. yeah, he eventually does join the Heroes for Hire. So yeah, and like the Scott Lang Ant Man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, aren't, like, at this point, like, aren't, like, Hercules and Black Widow trying to, like, reform the Avengers? Or, like, I forgot that one backup story in Busick's Avengers where, like, it, it catches up on what Widow and Hercules are doing ever since everyone disappeared. Yeah, Hercules was trying to, like, you know, reform the Avengers and he goes to Black Widow and she's like, oh, you don't want the, the person who was the Avengers chairman to, like, lead a new group of Avengers because I was the one who was in charge when they all died and she was like you know full of uh, I mean she's you know this is when they thought all these guys were dead she was blaming herself for you know letting them die basically she didn't want anything to do with the Avengers anymore well I mean like I said it, it's it, like at the time it, it made sense but nowadays it's like people would read this and be like like where is like who are they well it's funny because people would be like who are these fucking people like, the, like <laughs> well the, I mean I mean I think I think like for me even even having been in the middle of it it's like you know how like it's it's kind of like coming back to a title like you know reading like a certain era of like wally west flash or or you know whatever book it is but i, I think of that because it's like sometimes like they had very specific sets of supporting cast or even you know you think about like you know the coffee bean era of you know dan jurgen spider-man where his sporting cast is like completely different from when it was when like say roger stern was writing it versus when you know i don't know stan lee was writing it or whatever you know and so so if you it, you know you, you have your set kind of supporting cast where you you're used to superman talking to jimmy olsen and talking to you know Lois Lane and talking to Perry White, but then all of a sudden it's like there's like that weird era of Superman where he got fired from the Daily Planet and he's working at like you know uh, Colin Thornton's News Time, and all of a sudden you're like, who the fuck is these guys? Like you know, and you forget because because you you know that was the the nuance or the minutia of that particular moment in time of the era, and I, I kind of feel like that, especially the White Tiger, you know, like like that's that, that's one of those things where I was like, wait, who the fuck is that? And I had to go look it up. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like it's been so long <laughs> since I like read any Heroes for Hire comics, and even then, like it's not like you know, I mean, she was part of the the group and everything, but she was not like one of the headlining members as far as I was concerned. You know, it's like Black Knight, you know, Hercules, like you know, the uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, like those were the people that would be on like the promotional posters and stuff like that. So you know, that's that's something where you, you definitely have those moments where you're like, who, or you know, the the look of rage. Like, I mean, I know it's kind of silly to say, but to me, I'm like, there's classic rage, and then there's this, ver- the, the, I guess, I'm guessing it's the Derek Robertson design costume for rage, because, like, you know, you kind of have, like, this, instead of just the, the the leather outfit with the kind of the Lucha Ladora yellow mask or whatever, like, when he originally appeared in the Avengers and stuff like that, you've got this other look where he, I don't know, he kind of has this, like, green red helmet and 
uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of it's like it, the it, Hannibal Lecter rage or something. Like, yeah, I, that's I, what his I, mask I, always looked like to me. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, the only claim to fame that costume holds with me is it's on that 30th anniversary Avengers Perez poster. So like, that's the version of rage on the that Avengers poster. But I mean, other than that, it doesn't really have much of a you know solid place like i i think i mean i i you know i i would take any figure of rage if they made a marvel legend of rage whichever costume it was but like i think if if it was up to me i would i would probably want the the original one with the like sort of yellow laducia laura's type mask or whatever type thing and and speaking of marvel legends you know what this made me sad about i was kind of like seeing like citizen v come in at the end with his little v glider i'm like damn it they should have given us a fucking v glider like yeah. i'm like what like i feel like jip now i want i want the uh the the, the v glider and the little V-way. stand yeah. and everything yeah uh-huh. oh, now, well. that I, now that i think about it that conversation i was telling you about with, from like hercules and black widow I think that's from that incredible Hulk Hercules one shot where they beat the shit out of each other and go to Olympus. Because oh, okay. he was like trying to reform the Avengers in that, and he goes to Hulk and he's like, "Yo, Hulk, you're a founding Avenger. Let's let's bring him back." And the Hulk's like, "Leave me alone." And he beats the shit out of him, and then they go to Olympus. <laughs> now, what bit did made me laugh in this issue? And I joked about it in my summary when Songbird like totally owns like gold and silver. And I was kind of like, oh, those are my favorite Pokemon games. Like, don't, like, Songbird. Like, she, 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 I, like I said, like, she stole their Lugia and Ho-Oh, like, basically. Like, what do you guys think of, like, you know, Techno, like, is revived as, like, the robot Techno here. And he's going to be the robot Techno for, like, the next, like, probably almost 40 issues. So, like. It, it was weird. And I don't know. I mean, I didn't expect him to be like really surreal dead but him being like robo techno for a long time i think it took me a while to get used to i mean it's it's a cool look but it's one of those things kind of like scourge where i questioned the need for a robot to have a metal goatee it's i mean <laughs> i mean i get it he's like you know going from human to robot so he wants to keep part of his appearance but when you look at it you're like that's a robot with a metal goatee i, I don't know that kind of thing like is I find weird, but um, to go back to Marvel Legends, I would like a Marvel Legends of that version of Techno. Yeah, Robo Techno. When he, especially when he gets his like actual costume, like I think yeah. that's a really awesome design. Like the black and red, like Robo Techno. Like, I mean, I think I think they kind of hang a lampshade on how weird it is, but I mean, I think it kind of works. Like, I, I, it's almost like everybody but him kind of has their private like commentary between one another like there's that dialogue between like you know moonstone and and goliath or you know atlas and meteorite or whatever where they're like did you get a look at him yeah wasn't that weird yeah that was weird but let's talk about it later you know like type thing where where they're 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 in the middle of a fight so they can't really dwell on it too long and i I feel like they they deal with it you know in later issues about how there there seems to be those those basic things that that people don't consider it's like i have immortality i've got a robot body haha and and then people are kind of like yeah but you don't get to like you know go out with any girls anymore you know like that kind of thing and and it's like it seems like for at least for his character like that's never been where his head's been at so i guess i don't know like part of me wonders if it's like 
he's lying to himself or or maybe that's just how he is you know like i don't know i i haven't like i don't know if i've decided or 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 determined which is which but like to me if it was me i think you know that that's one of the first things i think of because i'm me right like i'm like oh i can't go out with girls anymore you know (laughs) you know that's that's immediately what i think of if i was in a robot body right but like but like because it's him and maybe that's not his primary concern like maybe it's legit where he says oh those those matters do not concern me you know but it almost sounds like he's a little lofty like like almost like either there's a certain element to it that seems either pious or like this weird galactus level thing where it's like this is beneath my i don't know attention or something and i just kind of went okay you know it just seems like he's like dude i can crack codes now awesome you know and i'm like all right well if that's if that's if that makes you happy then then good for you you know but i i haven't quite you know figured that out yet but i mean maybe that's that's just where his head's at yeah like you said it'll come up in like upcoming issues like you know him struggling with it or you know not struggle choosing not to struggle with it but yeah, like I, I think it's an interesting change to like a character, and uh, I like, um, I like that whole like you know after party scene where like they're you know they're chilling with all the other heroes and stuff in Central Park, and like like I was saying like Spider like all those young heroes are kind of like looking to Spider Man and Daredevil for leadership like. And then, like, when at the after party, they're, like, shaking Citizen V's hand, and they're like, nice to see you again, Citizen V. It's like, Spider-Man's like, thank God, someone, like, with responsibility and authority is here. Like, like, we don't have to handle this anymore. Because that's that's so, like, Spider-Man to shirk his responsibility. (laughs) I also, like, um, I think Darkhawk is, like, talking to Speedball, and, like, Speedball's like, what have you been doing? And Darkhawk's, like, just, like, catching muggers, like, not much. I mean, I thought it was cool. It was a cool way to to establish, you know, pretty much who who all had been there and stuff like that. Like, and they they all have, you know, what I will say again, just to reemphasize the positive is that the great thing about this is there's there's tons of different characters and they all have their own voice and they don't all sound like automatons that are exactly the same. Like, like regardless of, you know, whether you think, you know, Spider-Man's relieved that there's someone, another authority figure there that he can pass on the mantle of leadership to with the handshake or whatever. It feels like something he would say because he's he's met them before. He knows who they are. I mean, I suppose you could argue about, you know, Spider-Sense and whatnot, but I think we've long since gotten past that with the previous, you know, Spider-Man team-up and his other interactions with the Thunderbolts, right? Because now he should presumably trust them. He thinks of them as friends, just like the rest of the world. So, you know, like that makes sense. I think, you know, the, the lines that like, like, you know, rage talking to uh, swordsman being impressed by his skill versus, you know, you know, rage is kind of like, yeah, I've got a lot of power, but I, you know, I, I, I don't have your fighting ability. And that would be something that, you know, basically he's almost like, you know, train me, bro, you know, or something like that. And it, you know, it makes sense. And then, you know, of course, you know, Atlas is there kind of going, hey, you know, having powers is, is also a good thing, too. You know, like it can get you by because he knows all about that. You know, so it's like do, 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 that line of dialogue doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not like it's not like they have, you know, I don't know, Mach 1 saying powers can do you good. And it doesn't make any sense because he's Mach 1 and not Atlas. You know, they've got Mach 1 and Songbird, you know, talking to like Justice and um 
I forget who else, I think Nova or something, and they're just like, hey, you know, this is this is pretty awesome. We didn't want to get in your way, but we also just want to fight the good fight. And you can see, like, they're both kind of eager beavers as they've been. You know, like, they, they kind of dig playing the hero and like it and, and kind of want to, you know, they, they kind of want to play both sides of the fence and, and get on everybody's good side. They kind of, you know, it's like, it's like they've never, as far as, you know, to our knowledge, they've never fought nova and marble boy before like they just want to make a good showing and, and, and kind of make friends you know it's not like it's not like it's not like beatles they're shaking hands with spider-man going oh this is so painful because he's kicked my <laughs> ass like 17 times i hate you and daredevil for whooping my ass you know it's like it, it you know and it makes sense that's why that's why he's all the way on the other side of fucking central park because he doesn't want to talk to fucking spider-man and fucking daredevil because they whooped his ass right so again <laughs> Uh, you know, I guess, what do I think of the scene? Like, it's a, it's a good scene. It's a good splash page. It's drawn well. And on top of that, like, it's it's written by a writer who gives everybody their own unique voice. And, and I, I don't think we should let that go without, you know, sort of extolling the virtue of that. Because that's something that I think is sorely missed in a lot of these well, you, you kind of know, you know. You know that if Bendis had written this yeah, scene, yeah. like none of these characters would sound like they would all be, you know, completely interchangeable, like dialogue they, they, bubbles. They'd be interchangeable and they'd all sound like assholes. I, I also like a Jolt like fangirling over Firestar. Like she and Firestar's like, You followed my career? Like like how long of a career could Firestar have possibly had? Like at this point. Jolt, Jolt's been watching her on Saturday mornings ever since yeah, yeah, nineteen eighty one. Come on. Like I, this is a great like conclusion to this like three parter. Like I said, I, I I really liked the focus on Songbird. Like it's a it's a a, a big step forward in her characterization. And uh, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to say about this issue? Or nine. All right. So, like that—that that is uh, Thunderbolts number eight. We will take a quick commercial break, and then we will be back with our historical portion of the show. So, stay tuned, guys. We finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built, or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school, or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah. The Comic Book Time Machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books. Good and bad. Whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. Hey folks, uh, welcome back to the Dazzler podcast. Uh, <laughs> I am joined by my fellow Daz heads, Derek and Justin. Uh... And we're going to discuss another installment of what we like to call Daz Lore. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, this this is actually uh, we are going to discuss Dazzler number thirteen. Or no, wait, what what issue was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there was I right? Okay, for some reason I thought it was it was more than that, but no, it's it's Dazzler number thirteen, and this is the first appearance of. Uh, Screaming Mimi, you know, aka well, Songbird. So it's, it's probably technically the second appearance, I guess. If you want, if you want to be strict about it, it's probably like the fourth appearance. But it's like it, she was in Project Pegasus, which I think we'll cover at some point in this show's run, and that's her first appearance. And then if you count that as her first appearance, and then the other appearance is just like a flashback to Project Pegasus, which doesn't count. Like it's not worth covering. Like, this is her second 
appearance in the Marvel Universe. So okay. Well, it's yeah, it's it's one of her first appearances. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an early it's an early appearance of Screaming Mimi. So that's that's the main that's the main crux of why it's being covered as a Thunderbolts historical issue. Um, All right. Well, yeah, Derek, why don't you do the you know give yeah. us the lowdown on it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, cover date was March 1982, but the on sale date was November 24th, 1981. The cover price was a whopping 60 cents. Page count 32. Editor, the great, the awesome, we love him, James Shooter. The title is Trial and Terror. Writer is Danny Fingroth. The penciler is Frank Springer. The inker, which I know there's going to be tons of fuckery in this issue because he's the inker, is Vince Coletta. The letter is Janice Chang. The colorist is Don Warfield. And um, I, I sort of wrote, well, I, I did not write my own synopsis. What I did was I stole the synopsis from Marvel Wikia and saw how blatantly wrong it was, and I've corrected it. So, slight corrections to the Marvel Wikia synopsis. While visiting her grandmother, Allison Blair searches the attic of her father's house to find a memento of her mother, a brooch. When Judge Carter Blair finds Allison wearing the brooch, this creates even more tension between her and her father. As Allison's talent rep and manager, Harry Osgood, works on a plan for her future stardom, Sid Sterling finds her a temp job doing singing telegrams. Later that night, her boyfriend, Paul Jansen, thinks they should break up since she's not the most stable of girlfriends. Allison proves him right by making a scene in a public restaurant and storms angrily out the door. On her way back to her apartment, she is approached by federal marshals and deputies who want to arrest Blair for the murder of Claw. She escapes them using her mutant light show. Although she tries to fend for herself on the streets of New York, ultimately she decides to turn herself in and court-appointed attorney Kenneth Barnett is assigned to represent her in court. Before her trial, though, Blair is forced to spend a single night at Rikers Island Detention Facility for Superhumans. Once she arrives, the Grapplers, Letha, Screaming Mimi, and Pound Cakes, single her out and bring her before their leader, Titania, for her quote-unquote initiation. Although it appears Dazzler is no match for the Grapplers' gangland beatdown, it turns out she was playing possum all along and uses Screaming Mimi's own scream against the entire group by transforming it into a large light blast, which renders the grapplers unconscious. On her court day, most of the Project Pegasus witnesses testify against her until Wendell Vaughn takes the stand and defends her actions. After a tense court case, the jury finds Allison Blair innocent of murder and she is acquitted. Although relieved by the outcome, Allison also thinks to herself that she will carry the guilt of Claw's demise for the rest of her life. And that is the synopsis for Dazzler number 13. So yeah, like if you if you count this as like uh, to me it's like her second appearance pretty much because if you count that Project Pegasus storyline is like one appearance, even though it's in two issues of like a five issue storyline. Pretty much, this is Screaming Mimi's second appearance, and she's part of this 
team of uh, basically like wrestler ladies called the Grapplers. If it's confusing why the leader of the Grapplers is named Titania and you're used to the Titania from Secret Wars, the wham bam, thank you ma'am explanation is this is the first Titania and then I think Scourge like puts a bullet in her head or something and then the Titania that everybody's used to from Secret Wars shows up and becomes Titania and by the time she gets resurrected in that weird Hood Punisher storyline, I think she goes by, like, a different name or something. So she's, like, not Titania anymore, I think. I, I forget what it's called, but they, they picked some other name, like, you know, Lascivious or some shit. I don't remember what it is. But she, Doesn't Scourge, like, kill all of them except for Screaming Mimi? Probably, um, yeah. Not, not Pound Cakes. She still okay. shows up uh, sporadically. Like, I okay, think she yeah. showed up in that Unstoppable, Unstoppable Wasp title like, oh, okay. last year, maybe. Okay. Well, the first thing that immediately struck me about this issue after I had finished reading it is, like, man, what a perfect example of, like, the era of storytelling, like, of Marvel. Like, yeah, well, I, think of all the things that happen in this issue. It's like... There, there's, like, five issues yeah. worth of plot in this. I noticed that, too. <laughs> like she she breaks up with her boyfriend. Like, she's uh-huh. looking for a job. She gets arrested. She goes to prison. Like, she spends a night in prison. She has a whole trial, and the verdict <laughs> is by the end of the issue. Like, holy shit, man. She gets chased yeah, yeah. by the FBI and everything. Yeah. I mean, hey, this could have been the trial of the fucking Flash, and you would have been here for the next three years worth <laughs> yeah. of stories. So I guess we got off easy that it was only a single-issue trial. I mean, that's that's uh, we lucked out, I think, on that. I, I thought, again, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Gene Hedricks and the Quantum cast. It was it was cool to see Quasar. Like, Quasar shows up in this title uh, a couple times, and, and it's like it's like one of Dazzler's, like, sort of, I don't know, pseudo... It's like, it's like she's always going out with somebody at the time, and it's like she thinks, she thinks Wendell Vaughn looks cute. Like, she was going out with, like, Johnny Storm for a hot minute and things like that, so I she's always... I, I... I was just going to mention that, like, I think when Gene was, like, on our show, like, last time, or one of our comics one, like, uh, shows, he called Quasar the Kevin Bacon of the Marvel mm, Universe, mm. and I was kind of like, you're right, like, you can connect him to, like, anyone, <laughs> basically, like, everyone yeah. is connected through Quasar, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean, and this, this, I mean, it, it's like, there, I, I don't know, I mean, I gotta be honest, like, kind of like, I, I know I've, I've had this discussion about Spider-Woman on History of Comics on Film and on other podcasts that I've guested on. And I know you you, you, and, and I have had this conversation about Spider-Woman before. But, like, for a long time, like, Spider-Woman was a pretty big blind spot for me. You know what I mean? Until I read her 50 issues. And I have to admit, like, this title was a pretty big blind spot. Like, I don't think, I mean, I knew who Dazzler was. I, I read her first appearance in Uncanny X-Men. I read pretty much... I mean, all of her appearances in, in Uncanny X-Men, like, once she and Longshot joined the team and all that other stuff. But, like, none of those ever actually enticed me to pick up back issues of Dazzler. And Dazzler is definitely one of those books like Spider-Woman where it, it fell into that window of, like, you know, from from the early 80s to the mid-80s. And I, I feel like, you know, when I really started collecting comics, I, I could pinpoint it as, like... I mean, you, you could pinpoint a few things that are earlier than that, like from, you know, from 1977 to 1986, you know, here and there. 
as a young kid, I got comics bought for me and all this other kind of stuff. But I mean, when I was buying my own comics and going to Spinner Rex and then eventually going to the comic shops, it was probably 1987 moving forward. And Dazzler's comic ended in 1986. So it's like right, right at my cutoff point. So I'm not and have never have been super familiar with Dazzler. The thing I thought was funny about this is, one, you know, I decided to read some more Dazzler, so I got a, you know, a fair idea of what what I was getting into, you know, as far as the series. I'll probably try to read the rest of this run or whatever. I've only read maybe like eight or nine issues to this point. It seems like one of the atypical things in Dazzler is, like you said, all these subplots. Like, they always touch on the estranged relationship with her father and her grandma Bella and all this other stuff. They always kind of cut to that every now and again. There's always some kind of weird boyfriend hijinks going on, whether it's, you know, Johnny Storm coming to see her at a concert or, you know, this doctor guy that she's seeing or whatever, which I think is hilarious because it's like they break up in this issue, but then... She goes off and, like, fights fucking Terax and Galactus and all this other shit. And then by the time she comes back, it's like, I miss Allison. I haven't seen her. I'm like, you broke up with her. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You miss her. <laughs> like, I don't fucking get... Anyway, so, I, you know, some of this stuff I don't I, I don't understand. You know, like, that that kind of stuff. Like, that's that's... I guess the attraction for me in this title is definitely not those subplots. Like, I think what I do like about it is... There's lots of familiar characters that end up showing up in the, you know, Quasar, Screaming Mimi, the Grapplers. Like, like for me, like, obviously I'm into Comics Obscura, but those characters are familiar to me. And even when you go through the run of who she fights early on, like, she, she meets the Hulk, the X-Men are always kind of in the periphery. You know, Beast is in the periphery as an Avenger. The Avengers are there. Spider-Man's there. Um, she fights Doctor Doom. She fights the Enchantress. She fights Terax and meets Galactus. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of characters where, you know, it's it's like a greatest hits, like you're going through Marvel with through sort of, you know, the eyes of, of Dazzler. And I think the the typical nature of a dazzler plot to me is she she gets super winded gets her ass beat and then kind of midway through the book through some either through you know aids of other people or or just through her own tenacity and and sort of wherewithal you know like she gets a you know she gets a second win she gets her round of two power and then beats the shit out of whoever i mean mostly i mean she doesn't exactly win against Dr. Doom and she doesn't exactly lose. I don't know. They, they, they I'd say almost like they're one for one. It's like Dr. Doom kind of beats her ass in one issue. And then the subsequent issue, like she kind of makes a comeback, you know, and that, that's kind of, that's kind of how it seems to go with most of these things. And it's true of her fight with the grapplers. Cause at first I was kind of like, man, she's getting her ass beat. And I'm kind of like, can't she just convert screaming Mimi's like, you know, scream into powers. Like, why doesn't she do that? And then immediately, you know, they do the twist where it's like, ah, I will convert it and, you know, knock you guys all out. And I went, oh, okay. Like, there it is. When you uh, when you said she fought Doctor Doom, I couldn't help but think of, like, Doctor Doom's first fight with, like, Luke Cage. Where, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, Dazzler would be, like, rampaging through his castle and he'd be like, there were reports of a crazy white woman rampaging through my <laughs> castle. I knew it had to be you, Dazzler. Yeah. Uh. 
but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 um, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely dense for, for today's modern standards as far as like storytelling goes. I, I, okay. I like the art. I like the pencils of Frank Springer. Frank Springer has always been a good artist. I mainly like, I think, I think when I first started noticing it, it was thanks to back to the bins, but like ever since they pointed out Vinnie Coletta's rep, and then, you know, you, you read about it in things like Back Issue Magazine, you hear about it from all kinds of comic fans, like, of all kind of oh, shapes like, and sizes. Did, Ditko said, like, don't let that guy near my pencils yes. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, he, he's got a rep for basically, he'll, he'll, his rep was he could ink tons and tons of books very quickly, but the reason why that was is... Like, imagine it being like, uh, I don't know, like, like say Spider-Man, right? Imagine somebody does a really detailed Todd McFarlane webbing Spider-Man picture. The, the What Vinnie Coletta was famous for doing is he'd take a Todd McFarlane drawing and it would end up looking like the Ralph Bochke fucking 66 animated Spider-Man with no web lines because he'd be like, fuck this, I'm going to draw the basic figure and erase the rest of that shit. Because I don't got time to ink it, and so that's that's why he's got that kind of rep. And I mean, you can kind of tell in. I mean, the the more you read comics where he inks them, the more you can tell. Like, holy crap! Like, look at you know, like, or, or if you see, like, say, like original Jack Kirby pencils versus the finished ink version, like you end up seeing, like, oh well, Jack Kirby drew a shit ton more stuff, but. It just wasn't inked, and it was all erased and stuff like that. So to me, I'm kind of like, Vince Coletta is now, for me, like the Colin Bunn of fucking inkers. Like, if I see his name attached to a project, I know there's going to be, like, some serious fuckery involved. So I'm just kind of like, you know, like, to me, I'm like, oh, that's too bad, because it's like, I'm sure the Frank Springer pencils were on point and fine, because they, it's like, how should I put it? Like, the... The quality of the pencils shine through the shit ink job, I guess, is the best way for me to put it. Like, that's kind of how I took, like, that that run of it and everything. The other thing I noticed, and I don't, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, and sometimes I forget who was on what shows or whatever, but I'm sure it was, like, me and Justin and Tony, I think. But I can't remember if Mike was on it or not. But this also reminds me of when we were at Nightcat for the podcast. Like, I think it was just me, Justin, and Tony when we read Nightcat. And it's like, one, like, there's already that weird comparison to, like, Nightcat was a real person and they tried to make a singer out of her. And that was the original intent for Dazzler. But, like, a lot of the subplots, like, I mean, it's not that different. Like, it's like, they're both forbidden by their fathers to be entertainers and singers. Like, I mean, it's like in Nightcat, her father's a cop, but in this, her father's a judge. But I'm kind of like, this is not, I'm like, it totally reminded me of Nightcat. Like, I'm kind of like, it kind of reminds me of the same, same fucking thing, you know? And then the other thing I was going to say was that the, I read repeatedly, like, I, I think this trial over the death of Claw, like, 
if you've read fucking Secret Wars, if you've read anything to do with Secret Wars, like Fantastic Four and all this other shit, to try to explain the continuity of how Claw ended up in Secret Wars, you fucking read about the story where Dazzler killed Claw. And it's funny, because I've read that story in quote-unquote flashback panels thousands of fucking times, and I'd never read the actual story until we got ready to do this podcast. And I finally sat down and read it and went, oh, that's the fucking story everybody's talking about. You know what I mean? And I was just like, oh, okay. And it's like, and then she goes immediately and faces off against Galactus and Terax and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, that's, and, and there she, she blasted a light show in front of Galactus. And that's how Claw ended up on Galactus's <laughs> ship. And that's why he's in fucking Secret Wars. And I'm just like, oh. You make it sound like when you were talking about her boyfriend dumping her, you make it sound like he was like, like, honey, like, you're always off going fighting, like, you know, guys with axes and big, like, funny purple helmet guys. Why, it's not kosher. Like, I don't think we can continue courting. I don't know. It's like, it's like, they they try to make up, like, certain drama, too, because it's like, they try to establish, like, that doctor's from some kind of stuffy high crust society where it's like, I think he takes her to like a dinner party one night and, and she's like, Oh, I, I'm going to be a musician. And then the, it's like these old men and women that are like, Oh, you mean like the opera? And she's like, well, not exactly. Like, you know, I'm kind of more into rock and roll. And then they're like, you mean like Elvis and his ilk, eh? You know? And it's just like all this kind of stupid shit. And she like spills coffee on the fucking guy. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like a lot of this stuff, I'm kind of like, you know, like I said, like that, that probably would not be my primary motivation for, for reading this title. It's more like, to me, what's interesting is seeing her like face off against the Enchantress and kind of going, oh, this is pretty cool. Or, you know, seeing her encounter the Hulk or Dr. Doom or something and seeing how that all sort of plays out. Like the first time she's meeting a lot of these people or, you know, reuniting with people. Cause it's like, I think they, you know, it was like she was in X-Men and FF and Avengers and Spider-Man, you know, before she had her own title. So like, all those characters knew her, so it's kind of funny. It's like her first concert. Like all these dudes are there in their civilian identities, and then like when Enchantress shows up on the scene, it's like they all go to the fucking bathroom to change. But I'm like, even the things in the bathroom, and you're like, the thing doesn't have to change into a costume. <laughs> but like, but like he's in a he's in a tuxedo because he's there for the you know her concert, and like he's like, I can't get this flame cummerbund to come off or whatever. <laughs> And Peter Parker's like, oh, shit, all the stalls are filled. How am I going to change into Spider-Man now? You know, so, you know, it's just like, you know, goofy shit like that, which is kind of fun. So, I mean, I don't know, like, the the issue itself and, and how it ties into Screaming Mimi, like, I mean, you know, she's she's part of a group which ties into, I think, her her mental state, you know? Like, like it seems like she's, you know, prior to being on the Thunderbolts and even during this, you can see her personality. She's not an A-type personality. She's very clingy. She's very needy. You know, that's why she was with this group, the Grapplers. You know, she wanted, she was part of a gang, right? And she has these abandonment issues with her parents. So she's part of a gang with the Grapplers. And then it goes on to being, you know, she had um, Angar the Screamer as her boyfriend and all that other shit, right? So, so it's like all those kind of elements, you know, seem to be in tandem with, you know... Th- Kurt Busiek took that backstory and sort of applied it to her at the outset where she's kind of clingy with, with Abe, you know, but, but it seems like at least in this issue, like, you know, Mike was saying, this is the, this is one of the instances where she, she finally sort of breaks free of, of that kind of, 
environmental pre-programming that she's had that kind of that that uh you know monkey on her back whatever she finally kind of you know threw that monkey off her back and is kind of you know willing to you know sort of stand up for herself and she does it essentially like you said this is this is kind of a spotlight a solo outing it's you know something where she she moves forward as a character and gets uh additional development and 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 for the most part, I'd say that that kind of held true. Like, it, I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I I haven't read enough of all of Songbird's appearances, but I, I don't think she's ever really regressed back to that super clingy state per se. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is something where she's she's moved forward from that. And as far as this issue, you know, you can see where she sort of hails from. You know, she's part of a you know, essentially a, a woman's wrestler gang and they lay the beat down on Allison in prison. Like, that's basically the, the, the story as it applies to her. Well, yeah, I mean, this was interesting. Like, I, I've never read any of her books, so, like, you know, it, it was nice to be exposed to this. And, like, I, I was just, like, the main thing I take away from this issue is, like, I was just struck by, like, how much story they fit into, like, you know, the 20-something pages back then and you know how like if this was written now it would be like a 12 issue like probably like story like you know dazzler like behind bars or something and you know there'd be like a mini arc of her in prison then a mini arc of her trial and then like you know and then there'd be bumpers on either end like people people used to joke about how fast like trials go like in some con- like when peter parker was on trial it was like a month of stories or whatever. And they're like, no, like, you know, trials go on for like years and years. And, but I think Dazzler, Allison Blair's got a beat, got him beat with her one issue trial and one day trial. She was, she was in prison for a night and was tried the next morning and acquitted all in the same day. <laughs> and I, even I, I was kind of like, but it's just claw. Like claw's going to come back. Like, you know, what's the big deal? Like it's cool. He's going to be playing, Patty cake with lizard in no time. I'm like, don't you fret. It's like, oh, like I feel like she should have been like, yeah, I'm so sorry, I accidentally killed the red Sonic Monster Man. Like, freaking people. Had you had you read Dazzler before this, Justin, or is this is this an introduction for you as well? It's weird. I back in my collecting days, I owned several issues of Dazzler. Like, I had issue one, and then I had a bunch of random issues I bought because I liked the cover. Like, there's an issue where there's, like, a, a model, you know, appearing as Dazzler on the cover. I remember buying oh, that. Oh, yeah, 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 the photo one, yeah. And then some of the, I think in, like, the 20s and 30s, like, Bill Sienkiewicz did some yeah, covers. Yeah, and, like, yeah. I bought those because I like his artwork. But I don't I don't think I ever sat down and read those that I bought. Like, I know I, I know I've read issue one, like, at least once or twice, but... Those other issues I mentioned, I don't think I ever read those. I think I just I bought them because I liked the cover and they were cheap, and I just kind of filed them away. But yeah, like I, I had never read this. Kind of like Mike, I was struck by all the varying plot points, and I I don't know. I enjoyed it. I kind of liked it because of the the soap opera aspect mm, of her okay. life. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff appeals to me sometimes. Um, so I don't know. I may go back and read a bunch of Dazzler comics. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I I, I kind of want to keep. Like I said, I I read a few more just to get get a an idea of the flavor of the book in general. You know, and and I I think I keep reading it. I mean, the only other stuff I know is that at some point 
when she stops wearing basically the disco skates and all that stuff, it's like that's when the the Bill Skinkevich covers start coming uh, into play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. and and she's she's wearing kind of more of the I, I don't know what you call it, like the 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 outfit she wore with the the X Men basically, like during the Sylvestri run. And and I think at that point she moves from New York to L.A. and they try to make her more of an actress type thing than a singer. And that's basically, you know, what I know about that movie. Isn't forward. that like they, they have the Dazzler like graphic novel mm-hmm. or something? Yeah. That's yeah, like yeah. around that era. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Derek, do you want to make the Dazzler podcast a reality now? The, the, what, what was it called? The, the Dazcast. Dazcast. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know that I could. I mean, man, that that, that was a lot to. Uh, I mean, I, I you know, I I enjoyed talking about it for this this kind of podcast and everything, and I, I'm sure I'd enjoy reading some of the other issues. But uh, you know, I mean, I I, <laughs> I I don't feel passionate enough to do the Dazcast on a regular basis, though. Mm. You know? Yeah, like after reading this issue, I literally like felt exhausted. Like I was like, "Wow, that was like, a lot." Uh, you're like, you're like, I feel like I broke up with Dazzler. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, hey, girl, you, 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 you a math book? And it's like, what? Because you got problems. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's. I mean, I don't know. It was fun. I'm glad I read it. Yeah. I wish there was a different, a different inker on it. I will say the, the the initial issues that John Romita Jr. Uh, pencils uh, do not have Vinnie Coletta as the inker, so they're actually. And it's like Dazzler and Enchantress. Man, they look they look pretty spoken. So like those are those first like three issues are, are really nice as far as the art goes. And, and you know, no, no, no way disparaging Frank Springer. Like I said, I think, I think his pencils still shine despite the, the hatchet ink job that he is getting on these books. So I just remembered hearing like Steve Ditko stories where he'd be like, you know, don't let that guy near my friend. <laughs> hey, that, there's a reason for that, man. It's like, it's crazy. Cause it's like, I remember I was doing like read throughs and rereads of, of, um, green lantern, green arrow. And, and Mike Grell eventually does some of the art on that. And I was just looking and I'm like, Holy shit. Like Vinnie Coletta could make Mike Grell stuff look pedestrian. And I'm just like, how does that, how do you, like, how can you do that? Like, that's insane. Like, it's like, I don't, I don't get that, but yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's, that's almost like a whole podcast to itself is like, you know, kvetching about, you know, Coletta or something that can be the, after you do the <laughs> Daz cast, we can do kvetch about Coletta podcast or whatever. We'll invite everybody on and they can all tell their man, I first read Coletta in King and he fucked up this guy's pencils, you know, or whatever, you know? So, yeah. All right, so that was our uh, episode, I think. Uh, Derek, why don't you do the usual thing? Yeah, if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you're Brian Michael Bendis or Vinny Coletta from The Grave or whatever, I don't know if he's alive or not, to be perfectly honest, but... Um, you know, if you if you have angry emails, send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. 
We have the backlog of Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast over on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can check out the backlog of our episodes there. We're on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, retweets, etc. that we receive. And we can be streamed on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. Sweet. Thank you. So this is Mike uh, signing off from Gazcast. <laughs> this is Derek, Derek WC. I, I forget, but I think Terax was like at some point, he's like, uh, I would defeat you, woman, but you could do other things for me as well. And she's like, oh, no. Signing off. And this is Justin signing off. If you want us to make Dazcast a reality, let us know. Yeah, you know. Classes while I was scheming for the masses. Who do you think you are? Dreaming about being a big star. They say you're basic, they say you're easy. You're always riding in the backseat. Now I'm smiling from the stage while you were clapping in the nosebleeds. Terex, like, like you could polish my axe, woman. Dude, I mean, he was clearly propositioning Dazzler to be his queen, and all I could think of was they should have had a thought balloon from Allison Blair going, I can't stick no rocky penis inside me, are you mad? Like, what? I just, like, like I said, I love her boyfriend. Like, he's like, you know, you're always off gallivanting and, like, fighting, like, naked red men made of sound. Like, it isn't proper. <laughs> It, it isn't, isn't Christian and proper. Like, <laughs> Where's it, my dinner? It, when, when she comes back from fighting Terex and Galactus, she, she gets beamed back into her apartment, and it's like her dad, the boyfriend, and then like the manager and the entire like band and, and promoters guy, they, they're all in her apartment. And then like all the the band and the, the the promoter guy who reminds me of like John Romita Jr. with like a tank top or something, they're just like Oh man, she just partied really hard. Like, let's go home, guys, because she's like all like tired and stuff. And she's like, "Oh, I, I fought in outer space. I'm so tired with Galactus and whatever." And they're like, "Oh, she just had a trippy party, guys. Let's go home." And then I think the the father's like, "Is is this the kind of thing that you do with these singers? Like, <laughs> it's not right. It's not right. You know, that girl ain't right. That girl ain't right." <laughs> Allison, oh! <laughs> Allison, why can't you sell propane and propane accessories? <laughs> now, like, now I want to like resurrect Brittany Murphy from the dead and have her voice Dazzler. <laughs> like, it could have been worse. This could have been Dazzler the Chained Heat version. <laughs> Jeez. Just pull up my summary. 
that I wrote myself and has impeccable grammar. Hells yeah. Hells yeah. Yes. Yum, yum. Like, I, I love <laughs> grammar. Yum, yum. The power of fucking rewrites. Power of grammar, people. That's 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 for me. Like yours is the power of grammar. Hell yeah, fucking a. But mine's like the mine's the power of rewrites. Fucking a. Because I swear, like I was sitting there, like dude, I I thought like oh this is easy. I'll just copy and paste this summary of of Dazzler from um from the Marvel wiki. It's like three pages. Like I can, you know, this will be fine. And then, so I read the issue and then I'm looking at the synopsis and I'm like, that's not what fucking happened. And I'm like, that's not what fucking happened. Who wrote this shit? And so I'm constantly like changing everything. And like, so it's still three paragraphs and I used it as a basis, but I was just, when I was reading it, I'm just like, what are you guys talking about? Like that's, it's like the judge finds her innocent. And I was just like, that's not what fucking happened. <laughs> well, the jury acquitted her. Like, that's, what? But, okay, whatever. Sounds like someone lava read it and just wrote it from memory. Yeah, yeah, they're just like, yeah, they're just like, dude, yeah, and, and, and then this happened, and she's fine now. And I was like, what? Everything is good. If, if Hasbro's listening to our Skype call like they usually do, I'm just going to put this out there. If if they give us the V flyer packaged with cannonballs legs, I might I might be willing to pay nineteen ninety nine for that. <laughs>